Hello, welcome to episode number 231 of the Apple Log Podcast. I am your host, Simon Head. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by BetterHelp.com. Get affordable, private, online counseling anytime, anywhere. Talk with a licensed professional therapist online today, and you can start a seven-day free trial by going to BetterHelp.com slash Apple and enter the code word Apple It never hurts to get a little bit of help from time to time. We all need it, and it's all good to have. So yeah, thanks so much. I'd like to thank everybody on Amazon for shopping and helping the show out. You too can support the show by going to applelog.ca slash Amazon or applelog.ca slash US Amazon. You can do it the old-fashioned way by going to applelog.ca, click on those banners located on the right side, and bookmark those links. And every time you shop on Amazon, use those links to shop and support the show, and it costs you no extra money. I'd like to thank everybody for helping me out with Patreon. You too can become a patron by going to patreon.com slash You can pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with hosting and gas fees, and you can cancel anytime. Buy a t-shirt by going to applelog.ca slash shop. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. Give it five stars. Like the show on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash pod and follow me on Twitter at simonhead666. Today, I have Lee Rose from the band Ace of Wands. I found out that this band was opening for Lois Low, a band that I work for. I heard the first song. I went, this song's awesome. I saw videos. These videos are awesome. I heard the band, and I got more music because I said, I want you to come on the show. And it's all awesome. So here she is, Miss Lee Rose of Ace of Wands on the Apple Luck Podcast. I found your band because you're coming to some shows with Lois Hello, and I heard your record, and I was like, "This, where have you been?" And uh, and you've been the Toronto band for how long now? Uh, we started in 2017, mm-hmm. um, sort of summer 2017 is when we played our first show, and uh, and since then we've been kind of going gangbusters. So, um, and I know Ron because from the Low because um, I played uh, I played a show played shows with Low few years back with a with my old band called rival boys and then um and then he had me on playing violin with the do good assassins for the tour that he went on opening for blue rodeo um so that was really awesome and so since then i've just sort of become friends with him and then when ace of wands started going and we were um just looking for as many show opportunities as possible and ron is such a big fan of our music so it was a great great um connection to make and yeah we're so stoked to be playing with with the low next week at the danforth and later in the year too we're gonna play some shows so it's gonna be awesome yeah and ron and the lowest low have been like a staple point in the toronto music scene for 30 years and uh to have the ear of ron hawkins is a uh it's definitely a bonus because it's a form of validation because he he's uh He's definitely, you know, I, I couldn't believe he's put a record out, one record a year for over 20 years. 
<laughs> that's kind of amazing. <laughs> it's totally crazy. And like, he's just been pumping out awesome songs and yeah. And it's about time that they put out a lowest low record. I mean, the power lines record was really good, but this, this, this record feels like it's something a little bit more special. Have you heard any of it? I have heard it. Yeah. I, um, I was lucky enough to play some violin on a few of the tracks and, um, and then I went to their, they had a listening party at the at revolution recording and I went and was able to hear it from top to bottom and it's awesome. It sounds so live and it's got so much energy and there's some incredible songs on there. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So back to you guys. Um, yeah, so Ace of Wands has you guys just play. It's like the Toronto scene has been a, I have been around for a while, and and it's a tough thing to break into, and it's tough to, it's tough to go, play shows in Toronto. It's even tougher to leave. You you guys tour a lot, right? Tour. Yeah, we're we're trying to tour. It's it is what you're saying is true about the scene in Toronto. It's 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 hard because there are so many bands um, who are trying to do the same thing, and there are so few clubs that you can play. And even though in the indie rock scene, it can feel kind of like a small world, like you can get to know the other bands that are that are doing stuff in the scene. Um, it still feels like you're a little fish in a very big pond, and so. Um, we love we love going on the road because it gets us to know other audiences and other musicians, and we've had some really great experiences doing that. We went out to um, Alberta in April and did a just a few run a run of a few shows out there. We had done a residency at the Banff Center last December, and so when we went out there for that, we we played a few shows around Alberta, and so this was kind of a, a revisit of that. But um, met some really awesome promoters and uh musicians while we were out there um especially in edmonton and calgary those are really fantastic places and and uh this fall we're gonna get our hopefully get our u.s visas and go down and tour a bit in the in new york state so that'll be really fun too but <clears throat> yeah i feel like it's it's kind of important to to get out of toronto um not that, I mean, I, I love the scene here. I think it's a really supportive music community. Um, but in terms of having a diversity of fan base and um, trying to reach as many ears as possible, I feel like the only real way to do that is on the road. Um, there's so much importance placed on streaming and your like Spotify plays and what playlists you can get on and all of that stuff is really important. But um I also feel like playing to people is more important. <laughs> and so, so I feel like we're, I would love, I am, I am really loving putting more energy into that side of things than putting energy into our, um, our algorithmic success. <laughs> yeah. Touring is definitely a way to get uh, people interested in your band because when you leave, I mean, the, the good thing about Toronto is that it's so big and there's a lot of people, but the bad thing about Toronto is that there's so much to do and it's hard to catch an ear uh, of of a bunch of people to be into your band. And then if you are, then it's hard, it's easy to get trapped into the sort of hometown hero kind of um, aspect. So leaving Toronto was, the, I mean, for me personally, was the best thing to do is to go out and play outside because if you went to a smaller town, people kind of like, wow, you're in my town. That's great. And they appreciate that. And yeah. those, those are more fun people to meet because you don't see them all the time. And when you go around sort of, you go around the circuit and then you come back again, you see all the good people you met before. Absolutely. And, and, and that sort of becomes your, 
that becomes your life, you know, on tour to, to see all your friends that you'd met before and make more new friends. Totally. And it's, and it's tough to, um, the tough part is if, for instance, if, if you broke huge, it's, it's hard to go back and do that type of thing again, where all the old friends you had to go and play that circuit and meet all those good people again. And yeah. there's a big, there's a sort of a fine line between, you know, the, the darlings and then the famous people, like, you know what I mean? Like you can cross over and then that's the tough line to get back to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, know exactly what that's like it's never like broken huge or anything like that yeah. maybe the ones will that would be sweet but um but uh just to bring it just quickly back to our relationship with with ron and the lowest of the low he's someone who i've i really um appreciate and look up to in terms of his presence in the music community because while the lowest of the low has had a, a pretty successful music career in canada and um and his own stuff on his own has been has been fairly successful. I feel like he's one of those musicians in Toronto who's like connected to the music scene continuously. Um, and even though he goes on tour and he and he leaves town and he meets other people and has all those connections, he is still interested in propelling the music scene in Toronto forward, um, which I really appreciate and is something that like I would love to be able to do if I became successful enough to like, not just have it be, yeah, like this competition that happens often in the music scene where it's like, you're just trying to step on the next person to get further ahead as opposed to I've had an opportunity. I have some success and let me lift other people up who are around me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, going on tour, um, it's allowed us to, to, to start to build some of those connections so that, yeah, we can we can bring other bands from Toronto with us, or we mm -hmm. can extend that success that we are getting that we are getting from like the larger community into into the Toronto scene. Yeah, what you said about stepping on people to make it make it big. Uh, I've seen so many people do that. I've seen so many bands and musicians try to become famous, and they try so hard that it 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 doesn't work out. Or if it does work out, that that's the vicious. That's the worst storm ever because you're famous and you're an asshole at the same time and that's that's, that's a that's, that's a double that's a double negative that's double bad um and and as an indie person who's been independent in rock and roll and music and punk rock and things like that the good people survive they don't become super huge famous but they survive and they become they become like you say institutions in that scene in that time and when you're talking about ron it's totally true he has always stayed true to what his beliefs are when it comes to music and ethics. And, and music and ethics are two things that <laughs> it shouldn't really get along. You know what I mean? Like, you know, based on some of the music people I've met, some of the some of the record label people I've met, it doesn't really. They don't. They're not supposed to like music and music and business aren't really words that are supposed to go together. Yeah, uh, I've always said that. So when so when you're navigating your way through with the best intentions. It's sometimes it's tough to to watch that that type of the sort of horrible behavior from people. I mean, if you you don't need to name names, but I'm sure you've seen that in your life. Sure, I think um, that I think there's maybe something that happens um, with success that when it comes, there's a potentially a certain level of insecurity that is that is coming with that. So you have it for a second and it could be gone the next second. Mm -hmm. So 
there's um, like a grasping that can, that can happen. Um, like, is this going to last and what can I do to, to, to keep this going? Cause yeah, the music industry is so fickle and um, shallow and all of those, all of those things. And, and yeah, business and art, how do those two things go together? Um, feels very, very false a lot of the time. And, uh, and yeah, so I think that that can really distort people's, um, perspective on, on their community or where they came from or, or, uh, and yeah, staying grounded, I guess, in, in those things that are morally and ethically important to them. It's, yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough balance for sure. Mm -hmm. It's a short and a long game. You want to play the short game, you want to become huge. That seems like an easy route to me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, because when you see how people kind of make it happen, you're like, oh, okay, that's dirty. But you got there. That's good. That's awesome. It's staying there. Like you're saying, it's mm. staying in that position that is really tough because that's why they call it 15 minutes of fame. And we live, yes. in, we live in such a fast world now. It's probably only three minutes of fame. <clears throat> if, if that, 30 seconds. 30 seconds of fame. And <laughs> uh, I mean, I was reading a statistic on like, singles just in like country music like how many singles do people need a month and it's astounding how many top 10 singles need to be presented per month in wow. that scene because people get so bored of it i mean you know there's certain types of music out there you're like wow i just can't believe you wrote that song again and you've made it happen and maybe it's a testament of society maybe maybe we're really just dumb people that just are i like that song that song sounds good i can <laughs> <laughs> it's like 20 other songs i was written yeah. before in the past but that's good. I, you know what I mean? Like, there's only one stairway to heaven. <laughs> you know, but totally. yeah, I mean, so it's, 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 um, success in music is, uh, you know, I, I always appreciate the people that sort of had the steadfast to, uh, the, the stay with it and, and just carry on with no expectations because obviously, you know, you have expectations in, in, in life and things like that. But the fact that willingness to sort of like, carry on in this business is uh, is something that I have a huge respect for because, you know, I did it for a long time and it sort of turned into like, well, I'm getting too old now. So it's tough to you sort of sort of hang that, hang those gloves up a little bit. And there's a shelf life in our business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it is a hard one. I, I feel like um, I'm, I'm in therapy right now for like a lot of different reasons. But one of the main things is, that I have learned through that process is just how afraid I am all the time of everything. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but music for whatever reason, I mean, there's still things about being a, an artist on stage that terrify me, but at the same time, that's kind of the nature of the music business or any kind of art is you're just at the edge of a cliff constantly and you're jumping off and you're hoping someone's going to catch you. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes they won't or, and if, then if you are lucky enough to, to be able to perform and have your art received by people in the audience, then that's like by far the best feeling in the world. That's totally why I still do it is that it's that connection um, with, with the people in the audience um, and people who I feel like are get, who get me, who are getting the art, who are getting the song. Yeah. It's connecting with something in them they're seeing something in me and, and it's connecting with something in them. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's pretty special. Yeah. It, I, I've always said things about lyrics and, and music that it's sort of, it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's, 
you can't engineer that type of success where people associate like I had a conversation with a guy a couple of weeks ago about what makes a hit song. And my answer to him was, well, that means there's got to be at least a million people who think the same way as you, you know? So so if a million people think like you, they're going to gravitate to you and your thoughts. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes a hit song. It's not the fact that someone went out, like the the reverse engineering side of it is like, what's a million people thinking right now? Well, you can't, you know what I mean? You can't judge that. You can't make that. You can't, they tried, but they can't. Um, but when you make something, make a statement, like um, you've heard of the weaker dance. Mm-hmm. John K. Sampson says a word and it just hits like that. And you're like, oh my God, you've said something that just went right through my whole soul. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, just the word and every birthday card I threw away. You're like, oh, oh. You know what I mean? <laughs> how did he do that? But that, that, but that's how success to me is measured. Is that something that you said gravitates so hard to somebody that they it means so much to them, without pandering and without trying to like. Uh, and it's you know you like when you write what you feel, and mm-hmm. people it must be hugely rewarding because there's, there are people in Nashville writing songs like, what does a million people think of right now? Well, let's try to write a song. That sounds like yeah. a million people are thinking this, and it's gonna probably be something like clapping. There's gonna be clapping in there, and there's gonna be a lot of ho ho hos, you know, the arms waving part, <laughs> and that's what we're gonna do, and we're gonna make a lot of money. But that's pandering, you know? yeah, for sure. So when you write something and you and you feel it and you mean it, that trueness cuts through everything. It cuts through the music business. It cuts through um, people's expectations of you. And it just cuts right through, and that's how you touch people's souls. And that's important. It needs to be said. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I feel like the that when I'm writing songs, um, I can feel that when I have tapped into that mm-hmm. for myself. Like, if it's touching me in some way, that um, there's, a, there's a good chance there's someone out there who will, who will feel that. Um, mm-hmm. They might not hear it <laughs> yeah. for a while or ever. Like I, I believe that like sometimes there, there, are, there are so many great musicians out there who never have success because maybe they, they aren't being heard by the people that will truly connect with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but, it, but I feel like the ex what's true for me and welling or what what's real then that's the that's the kind of that's how i know i'm on the right track with something and i can hope that the person i'm that's out there in the crowd that i'm singing to gets that feeling um but yeah that's the that's the jumping off the cliff thing they may or may not be out there (laughs) (laughs) and i'm just gonna have faith yeah yeah in your songwriting process do you do you sit in a room or do you do you sit in a room with other musicians? Like how do you do you write with in a with a band or you write in your living room? How how do you do that? Yeah, I write um I usually write on my own and then bring bring the songs to the band and we um and we flesh out the, the other parts. Um and my my process is is um I'm a real lyrics person. Like I'm very driven um uh to write good lyrics and I and I feel most connected to music through the lyrics. Um, and usually I have to have some kind of concept for the song before I start writing. Um, so whether that's like trying to describe 
a feeling or an experience that I've had or um, looking at uh, potentially like a symbolism to describe a certain situation I may be facing. Um, there has to be some kind of idea before I start writing. And then, um, and actually a really cool, I, I use a lot of different resources to write songs because I kind of, <laughs> I have this, this a preoccupation with every line of every song having some kind of meaning. <laughs> <laughs> so if, uh, if you like really were to read very deeply into my songs, you, there would be, there's a lot there. Um, and I'm, <laughs> that no one will ever fully get, but that's okay. Um, but for instance, I have this book, um, it's called the book of symbols and it's this kind of like encyclopedia sized, um, textbook where every single thing pretty much you could imagine, um, from like elemental forces to, um, the human, human body parts to, um, weather events and animals, they all um, have a chapter and in the chapter, they just, it, the book goes through the symbolism that each of those artifacts has taken through history or through like spirituality or religion or um, literature. So that's a really cool resource for me when I'm, when I'm songwriting, because I can, if I have the image of say like a crow in my head and I want to write a song about a crow because that is speaking to me. I can look up the symbology of the crow and there's so much it, like rich mm. um, stuff to draw from metaphorically um, to create poetry out of. So that's been a really cool resource for me. But, uh, but yeah, usually I'm by myself in a room um, using my voice memos on my phone <laughs> <laughs> to record myself humming random syllables and then, uh, and then it becomes a song. Yeah, that's the best way to write them, I think, because uh, I've written a bunch of songs in my day, but it's always easy to sort of just phonetically sing out words that <laughs> might not mean anything until you actually start catching words in there somewhere. And yeah. I write with um, with a friend of mine uh, named Connor, and he plays in a band called Boys Night Out, and I send him me going jibber-jabbers, and then he, <laughs> he can pull words out of it and write yeah. lyrics to it. And that that's, to me, it's pretty awesome that he you'd hear the original me just singing in phonetics or whatever. And, and then it turns into a song that he wrote and makes meanings for. And I've never been a lyricist, but, uh -huh. but my favorite, my favorite lyric writer has got to be Neil Finn from crowded house because he writes stream of conscious stuff that no one else can do. So he'll write a, he'll write a, uh, he'll write a song that's super like on the, on the outside, like just basic, but there's so many metaphors and symbols in there that, mm -hmm. It's yeah, it, you know, but to um, yeah, I, that's neat. We used to use the thesaurus too because we always used to write just silly songs and we had silly lyrics. And we're like, we need to make this sound smarter, so then we use the thesaurus <laughs> to find neater words that's to write. Fair. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you've put out a new record, and you just put a record. In, was it February? Yes, we put out a record in February. It's called Lioness, mm -hmm. and um, it was a uh, it's a full length album, but it com c contains. Um, three EPs worth of songs that we had released over the last year. And then uh, plus, uh, I guess, three more songs. No, four more songs. Um, yeah, and uh, it's been uh, awesome to get it out into the world and, and play it around, around the country. And we've had some really great response for it. And um, 
just thrilled with it. We've, we worked with a producer in Toronto named Mike Rocha, who um, was just fantastic. I've worked with him before, but just such, such a fantastic producer. He also mixed the record and uh, he was really able to, to kind of tap into the liveness of Ace of Wands. Um, when we perform, we try to be as um, interactive with the audience and, um, and just like, like capturing our wild energy on stage. And he was, he was, I think really able to do that for us on the record, which is fantastic. I find like so often recorded music um, doesn't really quite do that for the live performance. Um, It either tames it way down or, or it has the opposite effect and is better than the live performance. (laughs) That's true. Hopefully our our live performance is better than the record. Even I think it is, but uh but no, it was such a great experience to work with him, and um, and we're starting to record more stuff, and hopefully we'll have another another EP or a single to release at the end of of the summer. Well, I have it here. It's I know the big one is the first song, but is there anything you want to play that's sort of a deeper cut? Uh, sure. Um, you could play Jolt the Amplifier. That starts our uh, side two. That's cool. one of my favorites. Well, I got it. Here it is. Time, bring 
So anyways, so we're back. <laughs> the um cool. Yeah, the record, your record, it's like we we're talking about the room tones and everything like that. It, like it does sound like a real drummer played in a room with a band yeah. and that's a that's a rarity, you know what I mean, when it comes to like hearing productions because I think you said that when when we're, when the song is playing is like it's really easy to make it sound better or or you know how did you figure how, I forgot how you worded it now it makes live being live makes it sound you can sound better live than you can on your record sir I'm fucking it up how do you say it yeah no I was just saying like so so often I find that it's hard to capture the liveness of a, of a live band on a recording mm-hmm. um which is really important for me but sometimes the record can sound better than the live performance mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is also shitty in its own way <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean when i i'm a big fan of wilco and when they play live it is almost like re, they almost reinvent their record you know right. and and but when you hear a band like uh, Death Cat for Cutie, they kind of do the kind of the same thing. You know what I mean? Like it's similar. They don't go too off the beaten path. Yeah. But I mean, there's a train of thought. Like, do you want? I like bands that kind of reinvent themselves. But also, you don't want to go and see like Bon Jovi uh, going off on a like a four minute rant of like living on a prayer. Like you just want <laughs> living on a prayer, right? Like. <laughs> I don't know. That might be awesome, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be. Actually, I spoke too soon. <laughs> But no, no, you you guys, you guys, when you when you play, is it must be very similar to the live experience. Is that that's what you're shooting for, right? Yeah, that that was what we were shooting for. What was cool about recording this record was that we actually um, we did it in a way that I've never recorded an album before, which was we kind of tracked things backwards. So we we played. Um, I played guitar and did my vocals like live takes with the guitar. And then we added bass and Anna added her guitar and vocals to that. And then Jody played drums kind of as the last thing. So that was really cool because I find often um, when you, when we're recording like beds in a studio, the drummer is dictating the vibe of the song uh, because you're trying to get the drum track right. And you're trying to get this perfect take. And um, I'm a big fan of single takes um, in the studio rather than chopping stuff up. And so um, my ability to play the songs before Jody added his drums meant that I could dictate the vibe, like the, the mood, the speed, the intensity. And so he could just add to that. And it was, it ended up being a really, really great um, blending of stuff because I find that oftentimes if like Jody's just a really powerful drummer. And so um, that was something that we had to work on a little bit as a band um, because we have a huge range of dynamics in our songs. Like some of the songs are really like soft and moody and then other ones are like total bangers and mm-hmm. really loud like, post-rock stuff. Mm-hmm. So having that um, my ability to, to dictate those dynamics was really great. And then he could play to me as opposed to me playing to him because he's a rock drummer and, uh, and he's going to do his, his awesome rock and roll thing, which is fantastic. And I love it. But, um, but yeah, this was important for us to build our kind of our vibe as this very dynamic band. So yeah, it was a cool way to do it. That is very cool. I've, I've never heard anybody really do. I've heard, I've heard people do drums, three different ways so it's like when like when radiohead did the bends um they recorded at three different times and then they would just cut together 
different verses that were quieter to go with heavier choruses. And I thought that was pretty cool because that was before computers. They were doing it like just actually cutting the tape. And, you know, we live in a time now where that is sort of like a, I mean, it's a rare, it's a gift, but it's also a curse because you can easily engineer the crap out of your song and make, lose all the, the, the life out of it. And yeah, I was, when I was talking to Ron, he was talking about when he did the, um, the peace and quiet, uh, what record was that? Um, uh, slips, uh, gardens, uh, Garden songs, garden songs. When he did that, he lit it live off the floor. They just, yeah. they just did, it, they just did it good. I was like, holy shit, really? That was unbelievable. <laughs> they did it good. And he also told me that when he turns Pro Tools on, he actually would touch the, he would say it destructively records. So there was no undo. You know what I mean? There yeah. was, there was no let's peel back this thing and what's here. Like so, that was like he'd treat it like a tape machine. And um, I mean, I thought it was a bit extreme, but at the same time there's a point to be proven here that real music, it needs to cut through to be on a level playing field with the hyper edited mm-hmm. hitified things. And it's all down to emotion. I mean, we as, 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 as humans, we gravitate to certain things. And I think we're a little bit over the cliff when it comes to making it sound perfect. I think we're just sort of, we're coming over down the hill and it's like, let's, let's, you know, you know, maybe like when, um, MC5 become huge again, like people reinvent. That's when we start going, hey, we're good with Pro Tools. We don't need Pro Tools anymore. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so, yeah, you guys, you know, like I said, it's, it's, it's a great sounding record. And, you know, and I, the fact that you did three EPs, it's, it's seamless because usually if you go in and do a couple of songs and leave and come back, it's really mm. tough to sort of um, keep the continuity going. Yeah, we we were able to, um, we kind of recorded stuff in batches at Union. So when we were there, we would do, we did three and then we did another three and then we did another four. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was really cool. We were able to um, pretty much set things up like we had had, had them um, from, from session to session. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, the other thing was that I was writing all of these songs at the same time. So the the even though they came out months apart the the kind of the vibe of the songs was all conceived at the same at the same period of time mm-hmm. um so that really helped to to blend the continuity yeah i mean that's one thing i miss from the olden days well i never experienced it, but where bands were just going to the studio without songs and then yeah. write, a, <laughs> write a record and then come out with a record the only band i really knew that did that was rusty and uh they did that and I mm-hmm. thought that's such a waste of money, but if you can afford it, there's a sense of urgency. You know what I mean? Like to well, we have to, and, and that's where, and it can go either really, really good or really, really bad. I think with Rusty, it worked out pretty good. But would you ever like? Would you ever consider the fact that well, we'll just set up a studio and go in and write a song and make that the right? I mean, would that be something you could probably you you guys could do that? I think we could. I mean, that was a bit of the experience we had when we did our residency at the BAM Center was that we had two weeks in a like beautiful rehearsal room that was essentially like a studio room. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't have any like, equipment set up in it, but it was the same kind of vibe where we were just working on songs, writing together as a band, which is something we hadn't really done before. Like I said, my process has always been, I write the songs and then I bring a basic structure to the band and then 
Anna and Jody will write their own parts um, based on my like guidance of vibe or, or intention. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the BAM center was one of those experiences where we, we were really, we were collaborative from like the first beat of the song. Um, and that was really cool. So I think we could definitely, we definitely have the potential to be able to do that. It was, we came out with some, really weird sound and stuff <laughs> we kind of developed this new genre i think called <laughs> um classical horror rock uh, so we'll see what our next album sounds like it could be vastly different but uh i was using i was trying to use my violin a bit more and uh jody and i are huge fans of horror movies so we were trying to tap into the um john carpenter um and uh, goblin kind of soundtrack stuff as we were working <laughs> and your your live show do you how do you fit because you do you, do you have a bass player or do you bring a bass player with you like how do you no so, so i do that i actually play bass um with my feet yeah so you use tar pedals okay i use uh i use bass pedals um like they're yeah Ro- roland a roland pk5a bass pedal with like a moog minotaur triggering it so mm. So it's yeah, it's a major multitask the whole the whole set. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, uh, I do pick up the bass guitar for a few songs, usually at the end of our set, which is really fun because then I can move around the stage a bit. Um, when I'm playing the synth bass pedals, I have to stay fairly stationary at my at my post so that I keep the bass going. But <laughs> we gotta. Yeah, when you do a big rock show and you do, you got to put you on a, like a like a moving thing like Dave Grohl had with the seat. But you'd be yes. standing and there'd be like this thing that moves around and you just point your head and the thing moves over there and then you can like, hey, you like this? You know, you can bass pedal away and then go over to yeah. the other side and then that's, that's what we're going to work totally. on. We'll work on that with the big rock show. But... <laughs> can you have that ready for us next week? I think I could figure something out. I just, just for my own, it would cost $10,000 and I'd probably spend oh, all my own money and make it happen. No, but... Uh, <laughs> It would be so awkward because it'd be like, hey, we got this thing and it moves around. No, would it be like those, um, you know, those uh, those computerized robot vacuum cleaners? But, yes, a Roomba. But bigger, but bigger. <laughs> that would be great. We, um, and it would have control MIDI lights as well. Like yeah. Do a light. Yeah, and it would clean up the stage while you're at it. It would uh, vacuum up parts of the stage and then, and then but as it would fail. It would try to put itself away. So would I would actually try to get under the stage or something like, <laughs> but uh, no, that is a, that is a talent because like, I don't have the eyes to do bass pedals. Like I play piano, but I don't think my feet could move fast enough to, um, to keep up. So you kind of have to keep the bass lines somewhat simple or are you like, yeah, they're pretty. Si- I mean, they are relatively simple. Um, there are a few songs newer songs that we're playing now where it's a real test of my balance as I'm standing on one foot and, and playing all over the bass pedal octave. But um, yeah, for the most part, the bass is serving um, really like a pad on mm-hmm. a lot of our songs. So um, that's, that's lucky for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's hear another song. Do you, uh, let's, let's, cool. uh, Pick one. How about, uh, do you feel like maybe playing Winter Wind? Yeah. Sweet.
Yeah, it's super moody. It's a great record. You guys should be proud of this because, uh, yeah, yeah, it's really, really cool. So, um, so yeah, so Los Low on the thirty first. Are we doing anything else together? You said just something at the end of the end of the year, but I don't. I think that's an, is that in the states or is that? Yeah, we're gonna join the Low for for their show at the Mercury Lounge in uh, in New York City. Yeah, sadly, I can't get across the border because they. I couldn't get work papers because they're too expensive for one or two shows. So. I know, yeah. and I'm not sneaking across the border. Um, no, you can't be doing that. I'm almost, I'm almost 50. <laughs> we'll get our visas. We still have to. We're still in the process of our our giant pile of paperwork, but I'm sure that'll it'll happen. Well, you need a bunch. Isn't there to get the work papers? You need to have a certain amount of shows booked. Uh yeah, you need to have yes, and we do have those. Yeah. Um, so that's really good, and it's just just a matter of submitting all the documents. Yeah, I'd really like to go because I I love New York City. I used to go there a lot, and it's it's um it's just a neat town, neat city, neat people. I haven't been there in years though. It's probably changed a lot. Yeah, but it's awesome. It's yeah. one of my favorite cities. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Like I've been, you know, I've done. I did a show at CBGB's one show, and I was on tour with a with a metal band called Voivod, and uh, it was a small club for Voivod. And I walked up to the guy at the the front door, and I said, uh, "You guys got any water?" And he went into this sort of like CBGBs does not give water to any bands at any time. I'm like, "Oh, I'm like I'm just I'm just asking if you have water." I wasn't thinking. It's like so. I went up the road and got some water, but it was like we do not give bands food, water, beer, nothing. You know, I'm like, okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Can you eat some garbage? Yeah, you know what? CBGBs, their PA system kept breaking and it wasn't working. You know what? It was for the better that place went away. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's the way to get shunned from the punk rock community for sure. Yeah, CBGBs right. had a really bad bathroom. It was a really, really dirty bathroom. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, yeah. Um, awesome. So thanks for doing the show. And, uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Um, anytime. Have a good one. Thanks so much. And that was Lee Rose from the band Ace of Wands. Don't forget to go check them out at the Danforth Music Hall, opening for ba- opening for Lowest of the Low, and they'll be on around eight thirty. Think about eight thirty; they'll be on. I should know that. I am the tour manager. And um, yeah, buy their record, buy their record, and buy all that good stuff they have got. Go check them out on YouTube and all that other good stuff. So, anyways, thanks for listening to the show. I will see you all next week. Um, thanks for shopping on Amazon. You can do it by going to appleog.ca slash Amazon or appleog.ca slash US Amazon. That's about it. Um, update my ride to conquer cancer is complete. I have made my quota. I just rode 95 kilometers yesterday. So I'm feeling good, feeling strong. Wish me luck. You can still pledge. It'll be in the description. So thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good week, and we'll see you again. Bye.